0: Good day, this is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundance Success Series, our primetime mastermind that promotes, empowered focus, decisive action, and inspired outcome. Our spotlight is on marketing and we have a legendary icon in the marketing direct sales industry. His name is Joe Sugarman. What do one eight hundred numbers, pay by credit card, the infomercial, and blue blocker sunglasses have in common? Well the legendary marketing genius, Joe Sugarman. You're going to enjoy this. Hey, Joe, how you doing this evening?
1: I'm doing great, thanks. That's
0: you. wonderful. Thank you for being a part of Building Abundant Success. We're talking about marketing tonight, and I was looking over your stellar career, and wanted you to tell the audience a bit about yourself, where you come from, and what you do.
1: Well, where do I come from? I come from the Midwest. I went to school at Oak Park River Forest High School, which was the same high school that Ernest Hemingway went to school at. Wow. And he worked for the school paper like I did, but he got kicked off. Uh, I didn't get kicked off, but I almost got kicked off. Uh, we're both very controversial in what we were doing at school. and um, But anyway, I like to write. I love to write. I, I learned how to write when I was in grammar school, and the teacher gave everybody an assignment to read to the class. Uh, in other words, write something and then read it to the class. And I wrote something that was really funny, because it made fun of the teacher and when I got up and read it the class just cracked up and the teacher didn't look too happy but the class really liked it and I, I got such great feelings from that great feedback so that I just started to write I, I I wrote every chance I could and I like I said I joined the school newspaper and then when I went off to college I actually uh, wrote uh, advertisements uh, for various stores because they didn't know how to communicate with the students so writing was always in the my background and and uh, really enjoyed it, and really uh, got a lot of satisfaction and got a lot of results, especially for example, with the advertising. I used to write these ads, and they were just totally off the wall, totally different out of the box. But the kids loved them and and the the store owners that I represented while I was in college, um, they uh, they they paid me uh, well, they didn't pay me actually. I had a restaurant, for example, they gave me. Ribs and chicken, uh, that was my, I can go there anytime I wanted to and have ribs or chicken. Uh, then a uh, clothing store I, I I worked for, and then they they gave me clothes. They gave me credit for clothes. Anyway, I was the best-dressed, best-fed guy on campus, <laughs> and uh, it was all because of my writing. And uh, so it, that, that's how I actually got started.
0: Wow. And uh, you, was it, what was it you actually wanted to do with that writing, or was it something entirely different that you wanted to do once you got out of uh, the high school?
1: Well, it's interesting. Uh, I got out of high school, I was supposed to go to college, and um, I, I, I wanted to take uh, journalism in college. So I enrolled at the University of Miami in journalism, and then I decided I'd take a break because the University of Illinois uh... uh, the university of illinois was where i registered the university of illinois did not allow cars the first year so i said well i'm going to take a trip down to florida visit some relatives of mine and really you know just uh, hang out with them for a little bit and come back and go to school so i went down to uh, to miami and my cousin showed me the university of miami and she said that that's where i go and you should really go here and blah 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 so i called my parents and i said uh... I said, I'd love to go to uh, the University of Miami. Uh, but my father says, well, you've got to take a serious subject. Journalism is not a very serious subject. Oh. So I said, well, what do you want me to take? And he says, I want you to take electrical engineering. So I said, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, so I, wow. I took electrical engineering, was in electrical engineering for three and a half years, I had excellent grades. I was in ROTC, the Reserve Officer Training Corps. I was going to be a second lieutenant in the U.S. Army because I was training for that the whole time I was in college. And then I got a draft notice, and the draft notice asked me to go to, uh, told me I had a report for boot camp. And um, anyway, that was a little bit of a shock. I tried to uh, appeal it because, after all, I'd be an officer in one semester. My grades were good. I'd be an electrical engineering. Anyway, to make a long story short, They refused. I went off to boot camp. They gave everybody a test at boot camp. There were 2,000 soldiers. And I took the test, and I got probably one of the highest scores in the school, in the uh, in the company, because of all the background I had at school. So the next thing I know, they called me into a private little office with two guys in civilian clothes and the commanding general. And the, and the commanding general says, uh, Mr. Sugarman, you uh, are eligible for Army Intelligence, and these two gentlemen would like to talk to you. And they they talked to me, and I said, well, what does it entail? I said, we send you to spy school. You become a spy. And, uh, you know, they t- we teach you how to spy and how to handle agents and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then and then we send you off to some foreign country, uh, some foreign place where we'll teach you the language of that country, and uh, you'll operate in that country in civilian clothes. And I thought, well, that, that sounds terrific. What's the catch? And they said, well, you have to enroll for an extra year. So that meant three years. And I went through that whole thing, and they sent me off to, uh, to uh, Germany. Uh, and actually, that was a funny story, too. Um, when I went to the spy school, uh, they had a very large washroom uh, area where on one side were sinks and the other side were showers, and in the middle was a very, very powerful big fan. And it was in the middle of winter, and that fan was running because if it didn't, the mirrors would get all fogged up. But Mm -hmm. if you were trying to take a shower, it was miserable because it was so cold. So I one night went out and got some uh, materials uh, and uh, made up a sign that looked like a military sign. And it said, anybody turning the switch on or off will be subject to Part 407 of the Military Justice Act and will be dismissed from the school. And I posted it right next to the fan. So the next day when I went into the bathroom there, I just shut off the fan. And uh, took my shower, a real long one. All the mirrors are getting fogged up, but nobody's going to touch that switch, right? And uh, I, d- I was able to get away with this for about three weeks. And then finally the commanding general of the school called me into his office and, and told me, point blank, he says, I understand you've been violating Part 407 of the Military Justice Act. Oh, my goodness. What do you have to say for yourself? And I, I, I was caught between a rock and a hard place. I said, I decided I'd tell the truth. So I told, him the, told the story, and uh, halfway through, he's laughing, and he says, Sugarman, we need people like you in military intelligence. I got a great, cushy assignment for you in Germany. So he sends, he says, uh, we're going to teach you the German language, and you're going to spend your time there, and you're going to be in civilian clothes, and you're going to really be, have a responsible position. So that's what they did. They sent me there, and I was there for three and a half years. I worked with the CIA and military intelligence, and... Uh, got out, and, and by the way, I just have to inject one thing, I am the biggest failure you'll ever interview, I guarantee you, I have <laughs> failed more times than anybody else, uh, so I just want to set that straight, that everything that I touched didn't turn to gold, I'm just going over some of the highlights, mm-hmm. but anyway, I, I went back, uh, while I was in Europe, I met some people who wanted to start a ski lift company selling ski lifts, and I got a hold of a buddy of mine from college, and we, we formed a company. And my job was writing the advertisements for our ski lift company, and his job was installing them and, and uh, selling them. So we worked together, and the ski resorts were so impressed with our advertising, they asked me to write ads for them, which I did. And then I did a lot of poli- – I was in Chicago. I did a lot of political accounts as well. I did the gubernatorial race, the Senate, uh, the, the uh, uh, state's attorney's race. I did uh, – very, and I did very well, by the way. I got like 85% of my candidates won, and I was getting a great reputation. However, that was Chicago politics, and about half those people went to jail. But you know, oh that's, that was my fault. But anyway, so um, did that for a while, and then one day I'm reading Business Week, the magazine, and I read in there that they're coming out with a pocket calculator with an integrated circuit from Texas Instruments manufactured by a company called Bomar Using the Craig Corporation name on the on the model that would be the brand, mm-hmm. and I, I was really interested in that. It sounded like a great gadget, and I love gadgets. and I figured, you know, I could sell that because when I had my ad agency, I had um, one of my accounts was in electronics, and so I actually tore out that article and brought it to him and said, "Hey, this would be a great great product," and he said, "Who'd pay two hundred and forty dollars? That's what it cost at the time." for something that added, subtracted, multiplied, and divided. That's ridiculous. So I said, well, you know, and he said, oh, and then he said, well, why don't you do it yourself? And I said, you know, I might. So I went back, got a whole bunch of friends of mine, family, relatives, everybody, and I raised $12,000. The, and the deal I had with them was that they would double their money. When they doubled their money, they'd be out. My goal was to double their money. So I rented uh, like 10 mailing lists. I created a really nice brochure, and I didn't realize that, oh, by the way, before I did this, of course, I got permission from Craig Corporation. Their salesman happened to be in town, and they could—they were having a rough time selling them. Mm-hmm. And I said, I think I could do a good job. And uh, so they agreed to supply me with the product, and we were the first in the country to offer the pocket calculator. Wow. And uh, so we did that, um, and uh, I, as I said, I raised that money, and... We, we ran an ad and it failed I lost half the money and I was really concerned about it but I did one thing that was really clever I tested 10 different mailing lists and I knew which mailing lists worked and which ones didn't
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and it, it really surprised me because I didn't think the one that worked would have worked but it did and I uh, anyway two of them worked and so I went back to my investors and I said look at I, I, two of the lists worked uh, let me Continue. I know we lost half the money, but let me continue. I think this thing would work. And my friend, my all this, all my friends said, "Well, okay, go ahead." But in the meantime, Cray Corporation dropped the price of the calculator. Said it wasn't selling, so they dropped it to $140. And so, with the the new low price, and with the right mailing list, I went out again, and it was a huge success. And I I sold oh, I don't know, thousands of them. And then I. Took out ads in the Wall Street Journal and uh, big full-page ads. Well, I didn't realize at the time, but advertising, mail-order advertising at the time was just yeah. You, you show the price, you show the product. It was like nine ninety-five, and that was it. Nobody had really wordy ads like we had, and it was really the start of some tr- of, of a trend at the time. Mm-hmm. And so we did that for uh, uh, for a while, and then all the other like Sears. and jc penny and montgomery wards and all these different major uh, box stores started seeing our ads and demanding product from craig and since craig was supplying them with other products stereo equipment and so forth they started sending them the product and in other words we created our own competition because of all the advertising we did so we just then went out and got other calculators Uh, there were other companies coming out And uh, then in about 1973, this all, by the way, started in about 71. In about 1973, I have this philosophy. Every problem has a, 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 let's see, every problem uh, uh, has within it an opportunity so great it dwarfs the problem. And I had a problem. At the time, it was illegal to take an order over the telephone unless you had a customer's signature. You, you had to have that customer's signature. So if somebody called up and wanted to order a calculator, I, could, I, I couldn't sell it to them because I, they had to have to fill out a coupon and send me the coupon. And every time I'd run an ad, I'd have to wait about 10 days to determine whether or not an ad was successful because I had to wait for those coupons to come in. Mm-hmm. Well, I would get occasionally calls from people who would uh say to me oh joe i need the calculator in a few days i can't wait i can't wait to send you an order form please send it to me just sign my name so i would do that and i did this for like six months and it was totally illegal but i did it but i never got into any trouble nobody ever tried to rip me off and i said well listen this maybe i could expand this This sounds like it might work if you know, toll-free numbers had just come out, so I, I called Bell Systems, and I got a whole bunch of toll-free numbers. And then I called, uh, I, I hired some operators. And uh, we ran this ad, and in, in, in the coupon, very small type, I put in credit card buyers called toll-free. And by noon the next day, we were, like, sold out. Everything, it was the most successful ad I'd ever run. And I said, my God, this thing is tremendous. So i got to do this again. So I did it again with another product, Another calculator, and it too was hugely successful. Well, I did this now for six months, and finally, I get a call from Bell Systems, and the guy calls me up and he says, "Mr. Sugarman, uh, we know what you've been doing." And I said, "Oh my goodness, what do you mean?" He says, "Well, we know you're taking orders using the toll our toll-free lines, and uh, charging credit cards, and and uh, so forth and so on, and we see that you've been quite successful." And I said, "Well." yeah that's true I didn't want to lie I said but I think the credit card company should change their rules and he said well they have as a result of your success we got together with them and they've changed the rules you can now take credit card orders over the phone legally and we just want to take your story and how successful you are and run a big ad in the Wall Street Journal so that's what they did they ran this big ad and they were talking about how successful we were and and um, and that started the trend of toll-free numbers, and pretty soon, a catalog started to succeed beyond their previous success because now it was a lot easier for people to order. And then call centers opened up, and fulfillment houses opened up. So it created a whole new industry. And it kind of followed my philosophy: if you if you want to be successful, you follow the rules, and you you learn the rules, I should say, and you follow them one by one. But if you want to be super successful, you learn all the rules and you break them one by one. And so my life has been breaking the rules or doing things out of the box, or doing things different, or doing things that make sense, that are practical, that, that really should be done. Um, so anyway, that, that, was the, um, that was the start of uh, the toll-free number. Now, that was 1973. Wow. And, and uh, we were, were running our full-page ads with toll-free numbers nationwide. And then uh, w- I heard that uh, the government had passed regulations allowing infomercials, and so we created one for a, for a product that I had uh, tested and that had worked really well that was designed for NASA. Those were the blue blocker sunglasses, and they were designed for NASA for the space program, and uh, the company was making it when it was going out of business.
0: What year was this?
1: This was 1986. Okay. And uh, so the company was going out of business, and uh, they, they, uh, the 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 guy that represented them told me you shouldn't even bother with them. And but I tried the sunglasses on, and I was really impressed. Everything seemed sharper, clearer, and uh, not only that, I wasn't squinting. It was I said, "This these things are amazing." And they, he explained and we were, they were made for the space program because the astronauts really. Have a lot of problem with light and, and ultraviolet radiation and even blue light and so these sunglasses also block blue light and that was really important.
0: And blue light is
1: blue light is uh, when you see well when you see the various colors if you see blue you're seeing blue light. Okay. Uh, and uh, we only see in a few colors. One of them's blue. One of them's red. I think there's right. yellow. Mm -hmm. and our brain mixes them all together so if you block the blue light that part of the spectrum, by the way blue light is right next to ultraviolet light on the spectrum Mm -hmm. so it stands to reason that uh, some of that spillover would affect people. Well they've proven that blue light is bad for eyesight and it causes a number of diseases Mm -hmm. including macular degeneration and retinitis pigmentosa and a few others and uh, so it's it's not a uh, it, you want to be able to block blue light and of course it prevents squinting and it uh, things appear sharper and clearer so all of those advantages so i i didn't think much of it because the company was going out of business and it was made for nasa and the, the sunglasses were selling for a fortune so i went back to my uh, office in chicago and um, we were doing a eight-page insert for United Airlines, and one of the products in the insert uh, fell off, fell through because the company went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. So I had to come up with an ad within two days. I, I could source the product. I had a couple months, but I had to come up with an ad within two days. So uh, what I did was I, uh, I called up my friend. I said, please send me a pair of that, those sunglasses. I'll figure out a, a place and a way to make them I just got to get it into this catalog. So he sent me the pair. Within a couple of days, I had an ad already completed. And I ran it in the uh, airline magazines, and uh, especially United. And it was such a success, I couldn't believe it. It was the most successful product I'd ever sold. Mm-hmm. So I took that product and uh, I uh, nationally advertised it in all the magazines I could get my hands on. And then shortly after that, uh, the government uh, decided they were going to would allow half-hour commercials. And uh, I had done so well with the print campaign. Uh, in the mail order ads, I sold uh, like 100,000, 100,000 pair. And uh, I did very well. Um, however, when I started using infomercials to sell a product, and everybody thought I was crazy. How could you sell a pair of sunglasses, uh, you know, for a half hour? Uh, well we st- we did that and we sold it we were selling 100,000 pair a month not not just over it. 6 not over 6 or 8 months but over a month mm-hmm. and so boy that and then we built it up to like we were selling 300,000 pair a month we were selling them all over the world and today we we sold about oh, 20 million pair and believe it or not it's our 25th anniversary this is the anniversary of uh, this year is the anniversary of our blue blocker sunglasses that was 86 until now
0: Awesome. 25
1: years.